0: Hello, free thinkers. I'm Mickey Z, and I welcome you to Post Woke, the New York City based podcast where we practice intellectual self defense.
1: What you believe is secondary to how you believe it.
0: That, of course, was Allison Gray, best friend of the podcast, musician, composer, writer, synchro mystic, and so much more, but also currently guest here in New York City on her visit to hang out with me, and you will hear our entire new and epic conversation right after this word from our sponsor. Mm-hmm. Hey, Mickey Z here, and I'm asking you to offer some support for a project that I've been running for nearly six years. It's called Helping Homeless Women NYC. And as the name implies, I've been getting out there on the streets for, like I said, nearly six years to offer direct relief to some of the most vulnerable yet fiercest women you'll ever want to meet. If you check the show notes, you will find a direct link for how to donate at GoFundMe. If you're interested in becoming a Patreon patron or in ordering uh, restaurant gift cards directly from my wish list, shoot me an email and I'll send you that information. But I'm just requesting some support, thanking you in advance and asking you, no matter what, to please share the link far and wide. Now, let's get back to the show. And I'm back here in Astoria, Queens, New York City with Allison Gray in person Allison what are you doing in new york
1: hanging out with you eating amazing food seeing my friends just maximizing aliveness let's say
0: awesome it's been a pleasure this was a somewhat spontaneous trip mm-hmm. and therefore we had to follow up quickly cuz it was just two episodes that we had a great conversation mm-hmm. about creativity and, and all related topics but this time around, I really want to focus on your latest Substack um, article called A New Theory of the Earth's Shape. Now, before people start rolling their eyes, possibly, I want to say that Allison, to borrow her phrase, is wading into the tumultuous sea that is the earth-shaped debate. But she warns it isn't just about the shape of the earth. It's about so much more. So let's begin with what is it about?
1: The debate about the Earth's shape is about the same thing that pretty much all ideological debates are about, which is, it. I feel that ideological debates give people a sense that If they can prove that their opinion is correct, then they've won the feeling of having a stable identity. Something that I specialize in, um, my, my area of expertise, I would say, is ideological identification or the role that beliefs and belief systems play in someone's experience and perception of reality. So in my latest Substack article, I got the conversation started about how I don't really care what shape the earth literally physically is. I'm more interested in what the shape of the earth, whether it's globe earthers or flat earthers, what it means to them. So for example, in the globe earth model, if you accept that the earth is a globe, you must also accept that the sun, our source of life, is 93 million miles away. And if you accept that the Earth is a globe, you probably also accept that we were the result of trillions of years of entropy, and we are something of a cosmic accident, and we're just floating in the void, we don't have a purpose or a meaning, and, you know, so there's all these um, presuppositions that go into accepting that the Earth is a globe, whereas people who begin to question that the, whether the Earth may actually be flat tend to have an entirely different set of beliefs that symbolically have very different psychological ramifications. So, for example, flat earthers believe that the sun and the moon are actually both within our sky, and they are equal in size and therefore equally important. And so that could potentially mean that their perception of the roles that men and women play are equal but different. Um, that's because we collectively see the sun and the moon as representations of the masculine and feminine principles respectively. So, uh, the point of my article is to draw attention to, um, what's underneath the debate, what motivates the debate, because I think it's by and large about what we subconsciously, Think is true and want to be true, and I'm more interested in that symbolic uh, aspect of what why we are so fascinated with whether or not the Earth is round or flat.
0: Okay, thank you for that. I, if uh, the way I heard it, and I loved reading this article. Thank you. Is that it? Again, it's not about either side being right or wrong. It's it's beginning to self examine why we hold these positions in the first place and perhaps as maybe more importantly, how willing we are how willing we are to entertain new possibilities. And also demonstrating how like you could talk about like the point about this particular podcast, it's not a flat earth episode, because it just as easily could have been was Lee Harvey Oswald a lone wolf Hmm. or was nine eleven an inside job. Mm -hmm. You can believe really whatever Actually, you absolutely can believe whatever you choose to believe. But what I've learned, particularly more now than ever, is that when I examine my own beliefs, I realize that even I'm setting up preset parameters as to like, I can believe this spectrum of ideas, but anything outside the spectrum then becomes the lunatic fringe for some degree. And I don't want to be like that. Mm-hmm. I, so it, so just for the record, I, Allison could speak for herself. I don't really have a stance on flat earth, but I have a strong stance on challenging uh, conventional pieties. So um, would you say that that's a theme of this article also?
1: Yes, absolutely. Um, And I think it's interesting you say you don't really have a set stance on the shape of the earth, because even to say that, takes guts in this day and age where <laughs> you're everyone's expected to be able to speak to their belief systems um, quickly, like in the form of a soundbite. So uh, for example, if, if you call yourself a feminist, but you won't say the catchphrase, trans women are women, your entire, all of your life's work regarding feminism suddenly becomes null and void in the eyes of certain ideologues who think that um, feminism is something that can be reduced to just a catchphrase. I mean that we live in an age of memes, and if you'll remember, memes aren't just like funny pictures on the internet. Memes are units of cultural exchange; they are units of information, and so we live in a time of of mimetic exchanges where um, entire belief systems are expected to be condensable into 140 characters or a single. A square image on Instagram and that's simply not how belief systems or humans work and so I would challenge anybody who's who's listening at this point thinking it's so weird he doesn't know what shape the earth is how can he say that or how can he say he's even comfortable suggesting that the earth doesn't have a set shape or anything like that I would challenge anyone listening right now to consider that there's a usefulness in opening the mind, um, to the possibility that literally anything, you know, could be wrong or, or not even wrong. Cause that, that can be a repulsive statement to people. Mm. Oh, you don't even know anything. That's not what I'm trying to suggest. I feel that there's always more to learn, but in order to learn it, you first have to entertain the possibility that the people you're listening to who who disagree with you or pose new perspectives may actually have something valuable to teach you. It may not have to do with the literal surface level information they're exchanging with you. But again, these these um, subconscious connotations to the ideas being exchanged.
0: Excellent. I Yeah, I, I definitely feel comfortable saying what I said that you focused on, partly because what I'm beginning to embrace more and more and more is that I can I can learn so much from somebody, even if I don't currently agree with their current stance. And I just wanted to touch on what you talked, how you describe memes. I can remember going back a full generation. Somebody interviewed Noam Chomsky and asked him, why do you suppose you never get invited on these political talk shows? And his first answer was, well, the, the me- me- mechanistic answer was that I take a while to get to a point. And on a show, you have to fit your, your response in between commercials, which I guess was a meme of the time. Mm-hmm. Now we've shrunk it even smaller. And then he laughed afterwards and said, it just goes to show you how inept these so-called elite powers are. Because if they wanted to make radicals look like lunatics, they would invite them onto the show. Because if someone comes on and says, um, at the, this was around the time of the Iraq War. So if someone comes on and says, Saddam Hussein is a terrorist, no context needed. It was That was agreed upon mm-hmm. as a reality. If he comes on and says, um, every U.S. president since World War II has committed war crimes and by the Nuremberg trials could be executed, there would be outrage and he would need about a half hour of context, of which he has about three hours, three minutes of context mm-hmm. on the show. So it's kind of funny how they, they blew an opportunity. They could have had him on and just look like a lunatic, but... It kind of taught me what you just said, in the sense that don't limit yourself mm-hmm. to that, and and that's one of the things I love about having a podcast and being on Substack, where I'm I refuse to limit myself. I'm it doesn't it, it doesn't matter what I think the shape of the earth is, but what matters to me immensely, and I hope matters to others, is how to perceive a so-called debate and understand the presuppositions before the debate even exists, and then. Try and figure out where you fit in.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you said earlier, um, you mentioned, I think you said it. you wanted to become more uh, open minded or you didn't want to become someone who's closed minded. Like, uh, I think it's so important that like, I remind people now that we don't even realize often wh- where we're closed off or that we're mm-hmm. closed off. No mm-hmm. one likes to think of themselves as an ideologue. Um, it's always everyone else who's a cultist. It's always everyone else who's got it wrong or they're on the wrong side of history. And and the first step in true developing true psychological freedom and mental flexibility, which is the ultimate freedom, I think, because you, if you're not free in your mind, are you free at all? It, I, that's a whole side quest I've been going, <laughs> but let me finish this point. Um, if you aren't sure yet, if you are an ideologue and if you've limited yourself to a... a narrow worldview, and you're cheating yourself out of potentially more freedom, spiritually, emotionally, and everything, then here's a good way to tell if you're closed off. Um, Catch yourself in the moment of being introduced to an idea that you don't agree with. In that moment, let's say, it could be something as simple as, let's say you don't believe in astrology, and you see that somebody has, uh, on Facebook, posts about astrology, as soon as you see cer- those certain trigger words like uh, zodiac, Capricorn, transits, things like that do you internally feel like repulsed? Do you feel annoyed? do you feel irritated? like these are the indicators that you have at some point in your life decided that you you have nothing to learn from someone who believes these things you may have even developed, something of a covert superiority complex to them. Maybe you think they're dumber than you because they believe in astrology. Who does that? And these subtle inner events, like that feeling of um, contempt, that feeling of irritation, those are your opportunities to start opening your mind and reconsidering that maybe this person has something to teach you. You don't have to, right off the bat, accept that astrology is legitimate in order to appreciate what you could learn from this person. Um, So you could just engage in a conversation with them and ask them why they find astrology compelling, what got them into it, and really listen and feel into the person as they explain to you what it means to them. You might find that maybe after having a deep conversation with that person, you still aren't convinced that astrology is valuable, but you can hear in their answer that astrology gives them a sense of coherence. Astrology uh, lights them up with a sense of wonder and connection to the stars, and that's important to them. And and maybe you, in talking to them, will realize you've always wanted a connection to, to divinity and to the stars. And maybe that is something that contemplating astrology could offer to you too, and, and you never would have thought of it before had you not Approach that person with enough humility to accept that maybe they could teach you something. Yeah
0: uh, let me cut in real quick because then I, I wanted to put an addendum to that. Mm-hmm. You also from that conversation could come away still having zero interest in astrology, but being inspired by that person's motivations in beginning to question what what we, we accept as normal and then perhaps you've always kind of wondered, when I hear these statistics, ninety eight percent of scientists agree about climate change, it sounds a little bit like overkill. Like like mm-hmm. and I want to question climate change, but people will think I'm crazy. But you could talk to someone who's questioned other things that you don't want to question, but be inspired by their willingness and their openness and say, I'm gonna take away from this conversation, not a love of astrology but the courage to actually ask the questions I want to ask about climate change.
1: Yeah, yeah, it can apply to so many areas of life. I mean, um, engaging with the so-called opposition or the other side of the debate, whatever your debate may be, whether it's of a spiritual or political nature. um, Oftentimes, as cliche or corny as this may sound, you'll find that you have more in common with the human you're speaking to than not. And it's so important to remind ourselves of that constantly, especially in this severely dehumanizing age we're living in, where people are reduced to avatars and tweets, you know, it's it, to, in order to develop empathy, um, we first have to, like, we have to see the uh, person first is what they call it. Person first is when you're not looking at someone as a feminist it's or, Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I forgot to Thanks, Fred. <laughs> he has a, a, a clock, a, a, a Explain what Fred is.
0: (laughs) I I have my Macintosh computer programmed to tell me every half hour – It's The AI voice that tells me the time. The time. His name is Fred, and I didn't make that up. His name is Fred, according to the computer, and it's my reminder to get up and stretch and move so I don't sit too long. And ninety nine point nine percent of the time, I remember to turn Fred off when we're recording.
1: Oh, but you know what? He was
0: a welcome guest here. He
1: reminded us to stretch our minds out. We're stretching our minds. But yeah, so person first. Um, This is one of my guiding principles uh, as uh, an ex-ideologue, I would say, an an unminder. It's really important to get into the habit of not defining people by their beliefs. So it's very easy, especially on the internet, to categorize people by the beliefs that they express. So, oh, that person's a feminist, or that person is a transhumanist. And I'm not saying I never do this, but you might want to get into the habit of saying, oh, that person believes in transhumanism. That person describes themselves as a feminist. And just keep deconditioning that part of you that is tempted to reduce people to just their ideas and forget their behaviors and actions and motives and everything else that makes them human.
0: That's an excellent suggestion because I've been around long enough to recognize that ideologies that I've Gotten to the point where I identify as them still are fleeting. It, the fleeting may take decades. Yeah. So I don't know if fleeting is accurate, but <laughs> it's a temporary. Yeah. yeah, but I when I when I interact with somebody now, exactly what you said. They let's bring it to the flat flat Earth again because that was the that was sort of the uh, fulcrum of the article. Um, if someone tells me that they are a flat earther, there is no rational reason for me to judge that person for that. Although I could disagree and cite multiple um sources of evidence that I believe counter that, but that 's not really the point it 's an opportunity to um be to find like like Allison said to find out how they got to this point, but then more importantly to find out how you can become questioning what you believe in, not for the sake of questioning but because sometimes you get comfortable in your beliefs. And you get a little lazy with them because you Mm -hmm. kind of like, let's say eight years pass by when you have a specific type of belief. And let's say anti-vax. Eight years ago, you discovered, um, you read a book about vaccines and you said, I'm anti-vax. You know what? Keep doing research to make sure that the evidence aligns with your beliefs and your mindset, not to say that you should just change for the heck of, actually, absolutely not. But I think there's so much value in this type of contemplation. once again, it doesn't matter. It could be related to COVID, nine eleven, Kennedy assassination, Flat Earth. I mean, the the, the conspiracy theories are endless because mm-hmm. the conspiracies are endless. And, <laughs> and And what I'm very, very much trying to do is to find new ways to interrogate myself. And I'll give one example and bring it back to you, mm-hmm. is how we were just talking before we recorded. And I was, to bring it back to climate change, I found myself not really ever even giving much thought to climate change. But then it hit me how I can be so skeptical, for example, of the so-called science behind what's accepted as medicine and a wide variety of different corporate entities where a a corporate scientist will say that um, GMOs don't cause any problems for human beings or other living creatures. And so I'm like, oh, this science sounds corrupt. There's there's a financial uh, impetus behind it but yet I didn't apply the same lens to climate change science. Now that doesn't mean automatically they're wrong, but it does mean that I had this blind spot because Mm -hmm. I have this very strong, sometimes cynical lens, but yet I wasn't applying it to climate change. And why not? Was I afraid to be called a lunatic or a denier? And so I began to apply it and I found a plethora of evidence on the other side. And I'm really enjoying this process, which I'm in the midst of and not going to come out and say I know anything from there. And then we were talking, and I'm someone that's in a personal trainer for a long time, and Alison gave me some discussions about related to where human beings get energy. And I said to myself, you know what? I've been in the fitness field a long time, but every single thing I've studied and know about nutrition also should be subject to re examination, not saying it's wrong, but saying that it's a healthy thing to do, to constantly make sure that you're not getting lazy with your beliefs.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, and I imagine anyone listening right now might hear us talking about how everything needs to be questioned and immediately feel exhausted just from hearing that, because that is a huge responsibility, you know, taking on the practice of, of disidentifying from ideas and becoming more of the embodied self. Um, so I just want to say like something I keep reminding people, uh, in everything I've learned from my own deconditioning from fundamentalism, keeps leading me back to the understanding that truth is not an idea. Truth is a mode of being. Truth is a state of being. It, it's, if I were to describe what I know to be true, like just superficial beliefs and opinions aside, truth feels like the calm center of reality. And I, it feels like clarity in my core. And so when I look back at the times I've been ideological, or I should say times I've identified with my ideology to the point where I lost my sense of self. And at times I would say lost my ethical compass. Um, those were the times I lost my center. And so I was getting so caught up in ideas that the more that my ideas contradicted each other, or whenever I found myself to be potentially wrong about things the more painfully aware I became that my entire sense of self was based on something fragile and potentially could fall apart at any second. And truth doesn't feel like that. Truth doesn't feel like you're going to fall apart at any second. Mm -hmm. As soon as you see a tweet that disagrees with you, like if you're starting to feel that way and like be honest with yourself, if you ever feel deeply disturbed or distressed just based on the tweets you see online or someone's Facebook post or something in, in all radical honesty, that is probably a sign that you've become identified with a belief system, which is not a stable state of being. It's really not healthy. And so, um, instead of looking at this practice as up, just question everything and wipe the slate clean. Like I would say more of, um, seek centeredness Mm -hmm. and stability when engaging with ideas and everything else sort of flows into place from there. It's I, I'm, I caution against treating the mind as something to be dissected and, and deconstructed rather the self is something to be built up from a stable core. So start there. I would say start by contemplating what does truth feel like? How do I know when I know the truth? What it like, what does it feel like in my body? Um, Cause disembodiedness is the other um widespread illness of our time. I would say we are so lost on the internet and we just aren't in our bodies anymore.
0: I appreciate that clarification. And, you know, as I'm hearing it, it's, it's, you're, you're comforting people that it's not about giving yourself another full time job where you have (laughs) to research and question everything. Although Many many people I know and I know listeners to this show actually enjoy that a lot. I certainly do, and I know you Yeah. But it's not gratuitous. It's not arbitrary. Like you don't have to. Um, I mean, you could if it if you could like you could you could ask as we're recording this. It's a Monday. Mm-hmm. You could ask like, well, says who? It's a Monday. Like that doesn't have <laughs> like you can go on flights of fancy where you just say there, but well not flights of fancy. You could just take it into directions where I want to entertain the idea that these man-made artifices are up for grabs. But at this, but accepting that people have lives, jobs, families, mm-hmm. et cetera, mm-hmm. what we're suggesting, and I'm going to come ask you more about the article that inspired this, is that even if you're not in a direct debate with someone or feel the need, all right, there's a person in my life that drives me crazy with this le- belief that I don't agree with, yeah, it would be great if you could find some synchronicity with them But in the article, you talk specifically about how occupying this mindset, let's say specifically with Flat Earth. We're using that just as an example. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter. Listeners, whatever you think you think. But Allison wrote how it could, for example, talk about what your core – your relation with your core, and your relation to the concept, the very existence of light. Uh So do you want to pick either or both and just share a little bit about that?
1: Sure, yeah. So um, in the article, I propose my own personal theory of the shape of the earth, and I make the claim that earth is hyperdimensional, meaning there are aspects of the earth as we understand it that are round, there are aspects of the earth that are flat. There are aspects of the earth that are toroidal and, um, like a tesseract. Like you could describe the earth as pretty much any shape. I do believe it is true that the earth is all of the shapes. It, I mean, I think I even, yeah, I even feel that it's possible that the earth in some dimensions could actually be balanced on a turtle's back, which is a, a myth that comes from some native tribes. So, um, and I, I propose that radical theory, not to say I've seen all the sides of the Earth and I know this to be true for a fact, but um, because I think because none of us can individually, once and for all, single-handedly verify the shape of the Earth, um, it's worth exploring the possibility that Earth becomes whatever we perceive it as. Because for all intents and purposes, that's true. So what I notice about when I step back and observe the debate What I notice about the people engaged in the debate is they tend to perceive the earth in accordance with their own inner state or their own emotional state, if you'd rather say it that way. So a lot of people, most people currently believe the earth is round. Now, I'm not saying there's, I'm not going to make a sweeping generalization about Everyone who believes that but it does tend to be true that most people do not question the shape of the earth So I would suggest that it's possible that if you're a globe earther as it's called then you may not have um, A conscious deliberate relationship with your own inner light So you accept very easily that the Sun is 93 million miles away. That makes sense if you haven't started asking your own questions, um, then it tends to be the case that the people who start questioning the shape of the earth, most of the time, do end up believing that it's flat. Um, that could just be a byproduct of the fact that they're willing to question the shape of the earth in the first place. And that brings the sun in their model of reality closer to the earth. And now, if we're symbolically identified with the earth, you know, humans are nature then the willingness to question the shape of the earth says something about your own relationship to your intellect, being represented by the sun or the light, the light that exposes the truth. So I don't know if you see where I'm going with this. um, The the mental freedom that a person has is what determines how they perceive the earth to be shaped. And so the ultimate, in my opinion, the ultimate theory of the earth's shape is that the earth is entirely a holographic projection from one's own mind. And I say that because in this debate, believe it or not, if you're not familiar with this debate, there is a third party of people called inner earthers. And these people believe that there is an earth within the human system, you could say, the human body. And it's accessible through meditation, through astral projection, whatever you uh, want to call it, this inner exploration so they don't see the earth as an external uh, character in relation to us. It's actually something fully occurring inside of the human spirit. And the way to access the earth um, is to go within. And so that puts the the sun, the source of light and truth, directly inside of them. And so I see the earth-shaped debate as an, an actual manifestation of the journey of the soul back into self-knowledge and self-awareness. And um, I see inner earth as being the ultimate destination of this debate, where um, if you really are illumined within yourself, if you really are willing to seek the answers within yourself and not cave to societal pressures or the fear of being called crazy, inner earth becomes possible for you. It becomes possible to feel so full of light on the inside that you might as well say the sun is within you if that makes sense. Yeah,
0: no, thank you. And it's it's a, what I'm hearing is that if you are the type of person, which at heart I think most people are, that they're seeking to learn, grow, and evolve in their life, and they don't want to be stuck in one place, even though it may appear in some cases in our consumerist society that people are stuck. Again, that's not really for us to say, but – if people want to eat, learn, grow and evolve, part of that is learning and growing and evolving and how you perceive things. And it's so, so easy, like, like, I may listen to a sports podcast, and flat earth will be um, someone might say, do you think so and so is going to be traded this day? Uh, and during the before the trading deadline, mm-hmm. and then someone will put forth what really is a conspiracy theory. Well, no, I think they're going to wait till afterwards because they want to pull this trick and that trick. And someone will say, ah, oh, that's the conspiracy theory. And then the other guy will say, oh, look, like I'm not a flat earther or anything. Uh-huh. Like he almost needs to clarify that he's not crazy or fringe. But what I believe Allison is encouraging is the first step perhaps is just to stop judging these opinions as crazy or fringe. Uh-huh. and And that could go, and you could still respect that person like uh, one other thing like the the example where the the division of religion or faith where someone that lies on one side of that debate perhaps you call them atheist and someone who is a believer they they could be polar opposites on this but actually could still have a lot in common and respect each other but we've kind of trained particularly in the internet age that as soon as we hear this one thing that offends our sense of logic or our sense of, of where our heart lies, we cut them off. And I like the idea. That's why this article just moved me. I like the idea of changing the starting point. And I feel like, again, I, I'm not here to have a podcast about flat earth, which would be a great topic. Yeah. And I'd like to have someone on who can, maybe two people on that can debate in front of me. But what, I, what, what I'm here is to say, how far can we go with people in since since the three years ago when the when the lockdowns began, a group of people started calling themselves free thinkers. Well, how free can we think? And mm-hmm. I feel like that's what Allison is urging us in this article to ask that question.
1: Yeah, I want to quickly go back to something you said. We we mentioned the fear of being called crazy a lot. We've said this in maybe five episodes by yeah, now. Yeah, like, yeah. um, And something I'm always saying in my unminding work is it's not when I talk about cultism and fundamentalism. Again, people love to point fingers at everyone else and say that person is a fundy, that person is in a cult, that person's wrong. And, and like it's always everyone else who's crazy and wrong, but I have to constantly remind people it's not about what you believe, it's about how you believe it. So you could have two people who are Christians. One person could be a foaming at the mouth, rabid Bible beater, who's just a total close-minded bigot and, and who uses the Bible to justify their unethical and cruel behavior. You could have another Christian reading from the same exact book, going to the same exact church, who's loving and kind, uh, but committed to truth and won't compromise on truth, very Christ-like the way that a Christian should be. And so they are technically believing the same fundamental things that you know jesus christ is their lord and savior but how they believe it is entirely different and that's what differentiates a closed-minded trapped person from a psychologically free and open-minded person and so i mean in fact i'm i'm if we have time, I'd like to mention the Christianity thing. you and I have been, if you're comfortable with me divulging this to them. Um, we've been talking a lot about our own journeys individually with Christianity. I was raised in a fundamentalist Pentecostal church. He grew up in Catholic school and so you know very we both had very strict, oppressive experiences of the church that turned us off to the Bible very early on. But now both of us are on a parallel track of returning to the Bible with an open mind and seeing treasures in the text that we weren't able to see before. Not because those words weren't on the page. They were. The Bible didn't change. It was us who changed and our internal state um, determined what we would be able to perceive in our outer reality. And so I'm not going as far as to say everything is solipsistic and the entire world exists only in your head, but you do yourself a disservice when you, um, fail to check in with what's going on in your inner world and assume that all your problems are coming from the outer world because it's, that's not entirely the case.
0: Absolutely. And I'm totally comfortable with everything you said there in, in that I find it, I've said this on multiple podcasts, but I feel like it's worth repeating throughout my adult life and even maybe in my teens, um, some of my favorite moments are when I um, have completely changed my mind, or at least been challenged. And I've been around long enough now that on certain topics, where I spent 12 years in Catholic school, I became a fundamentalist atheist for a while. If that's not a contradiction in terms, I don't know. <laughs> and, and right now, I find myself in this flexible, open-minded position. And it feels the best of all of them, yes. where it's just a sense of like, all right, all this stuff is going on. I kind of locked myself into blinders. Now I take them off. And I don't know yet what I'm going to find. But the act of taking them off is one of life's great epiphany moments. And again, it, we're not, I could, I think I could speak for both of us. The purpose of this conversation isn't to say, you should believe this or the earth is flat. But mm-hmm. I, And if that's not, you should do anything, but it's a big, big suggestion that that some of the greatest, like questioning the way we're just talking about is not some type of um, painful duty like doing military service. It's actually some of the most fun and joyous moments in your life. And so don't miss out on that. Just ask questions and also get to ask questions of someone you disagree with and you might Find, like, just be curious because mm-hmm. <clears throat> even if you're having an argument with your spouse, that you're having a vehement disagreement on two different points of view, if you can just hear them with curiosity, A, you'll learn more about your spouse, but B, you may learn more about the topic that's in between you. So it can work on a one-on-one basis. It can work on a large ideological group basis. And it's something that's an eternal work. And I don't pretend for a millisecond that I'm anywhere near refined at this, but I'm embracing it as an, a never-ending work in progress.
1: Yeah. Um, I mean, this is my life's work personally. I'm, I'm ever fascinated by the phenomenon of, of- ideology and and why humans collect beliefs and connect dots between them and identify with beliefs it's it's something we are prone to do and there's so many reasons for that you could appeal to tribalism you could say it's the human attempt to feel belonging or coherence um, but uh, I just love to remind people that there's so much more to you than just what you believe and in fact you may feel Find that it's more satisfying to open up and not adhere to a strict belief system, but actually permit yourself to see resonance across the entire spectrum of beliefs with people like, you know, let's put this in religious terms. Let's say you personally identify one type of way. You might find that you feel more of a sense of belonging in the world when you open up your mind to hear what Atheists have to say, and what agnostics have to say, and what other uh, religious people have to say. And it, it um, it's, I, it's a, isn't that an interesting paradox that the more we attempt to feel a sense of belonging and coherence through ideology, the more we isolate ourselves?
0: Absolutely. Yeah. And I so, mean, that's why we fell such easy prey to a, to a catchphrase like we're all in this together, because we're yeah. dying to be in something together. Yeah. And they conned us into that one. And perhaps what we're suggesting is that let's find healthy, productive ways to be all in this together.
1: Yes, absolutely.
0: Okay. So um, <laughs> by the time you guys hear this, I will have posted some pictures on Substack of Allison and I's gallivanting around New York yeah. and we're having a great time. And I'm always, I, this is the second time we've done a face to face podcast and, and it's just so much fun. And I do hope to do this more with other guests in the very near future. But before we completely wrap up, um, Just give us – if I'm going to send people to your substack, to Mm -hmm. not just read this article. Of course, it will be in the show notes. What um, might they expect in the next week, two, or three weeks of like what – are you going to build on this specifically? Yes. Or what what angles are you taking coming up very soon?
1: I'm drafting a few new posts that are in the same vein as this Flat Earth one. So taking the seed idea that um, what you believe is – Secondary to how you believe it. Um, I'm also drafting an article on uh Jesus Christ and how people are able to perceive Jesus and who he was and what he was about based on their own inner state. Um and, and other examples like that. I, I'm fascinated with how different levels or layers or facets of truth only become visible when you make an internal shift. That opens you up to that new perception. It's people tend to think seeing is believing, but the reality is believing is seeing. And so I really want people to sit with that and reflect on that because I've just found it to be true over and over and over again in every single arena of life, socially, politically, emotionally, spiritually. And so um, that's what I intend to write more about in coming weeks.
0: Awesome. So it's going to be in the show notes, but I'll say it's AlisonGray.substack.com. Can you give them the exact spelling because it's a unique Allison yeah. and there's two ways of spelling Gray. So give them the the, the easy way to, to find you.
1: Here's the spelling of my Substack: A L I C E N G R E Y dot dot com.
0: Allison, it's a pleasure. It's a double pleasure to be doing this in person. Yeah. And thank you as always.
1: Thank you for having me. And thank you, everyone, for listening to us rimble about the shape of the earth.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'll be back with some closing thoughts after one more word from our sponsor. Hey, Mickey Z here. I trust you're enjoying this episode, but I wanted to take a quick break to request that you seriously consider becoming a paid subscriber to Post Woke, because PostWoke is more than this podcast, which is a weekly podcast with crucial, important conversations with crucial and important guests. PostWoke is also a substack on which I post on a daily basis. I'm talking about written posts. And I, first and foremost, I am a writer. I have 12 books out and I have been writing for many decades. And so you're getting quality content at least once a day, all for $5 a month. And no matter what you decide, you can become a free subscriber if you choose. I ask you to please share the link and spread the word. And while you're at it, check the show notes for information on how to order the post-woke t-shirt. It is a completely cool, kick-ass shirt, and you could show the world what your favorite podcast and substack is. So I thank you in advance for your support. Again, I urge you to spread the word, and let's get back to the show. I want to thank everyone for listening to episode 70 of Post-Woke and listening with an open and curious mind. As Allison Gray says eloquently at the end of our conversation, it's not about what you think, it's about how you think. And as I say at the end of every episode, keep your guard up.